0: Welcome to A Wild New Work, a podcast about how to divest from capitalism and the norms of modern work and step into the soulful calling of these times we live in, which includes the call to rekindle our relationship with the earth. I'm Megan Leatherman, a mother to two small kids, coach, writer, and amateur ecologist living in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm your host today. Hi friend and welcome, I'm so honored and delighted that you are here, I have a A little encore episode for you today. I'm getting the next season of the show ready for you. Uh, I've done some interviews, I've got interviews scheduled, topics. I'm like really, really excited for the next sort of the fall journey together in this forum. Um, And I wanted to bring in an episode that could kind of be a good preview for some of that. And today's episode is on vultures, and I did this last autumn, and I remember why I chose to do it then, because I, um, at the end of my sessions with clients, we will pull an animal card from a deck by Kim Kranz of the Wild Unknown, and the vulture card is one that comes up over and over again for clients, and I remember there was like a string of this last fall, and I decided I needed to learn more about these incredible creatures and uh, talk about them and sort of try to bring some of their wisdom forward. So this is the work that we are going to be doing in earnest come the fall season, this digestion and disintegration and pulling apart. And this episode can help you sort of prepare for that letting go for the disintegration that is a necessary part of the upcoming fall season. So I hope you enjoy it very much two things before I read our opening invocation and transition us. One is that my autumn workshop, Ancestors Speak, has changed a lot in the last week. Uh, I just felt like I really needed to simplify it and clarify, so that's feeling a lot lighter and like it's ready to move forward. Um, so Ancestor Speak is now an all-day workshop on Saturday, October 28th, it's one day instead of two, and we're going to be focusing on communicating with the land and with our ancestors. We will be in an old growth forest about 35 minutes outside of Portland. We're going to be around the fire. I'll be teaching. We will be practicing some of the intuitive skills that I have in mind for land and ancestor communication. We will be making art. You will have solo time in the woods to practice what we've been going over. And we're also going to do a walk together in the darkness under the full moon. So if you are ready for some insights and intel from beings that are older, wiser than living humans. If you're ready for some different inspiration, um, I hope you'll join us. I think it's going to be a really, really rich and potent day at a very potent point in the cycle of the year. So you can learn more at a slash ancestor speak or at the link in the show notes. And if you're not in Portland or if you feel like you need some longer term steady guidance, then I want to just remind you that I do work with people one on one. Um, I'm there to sort of walk the path with people and help them shift their perspectives and really help them be courageous and go deeper than they probably ever have before um, into that alchemical process of transformation that is beyond words but that is a part of every soul's journey in this life and work is such a fertile ground for that it's a place where so many of us feel stuck or stagnant but it's also a place where our soul can really come alive and be of deep service to the world. So if you know that you need to make a change and you have tried but things haven't really stuck or if getting some support from a guide sounds like it would be helpful then um, it's been my honor to help many others cross into life-giving work. So I typically work with people for about six months, sometimes less, usually more than that, um, and what we do is based on the rhythms of the earth and the seasons. So you can learn all about that at wildnewwork.com or at the link in the show notes. All right, so let's settle in. Just notice your breath and your body and time and space. Maybe you take a deep inhale or extend your exhale. Here you are in this moment in your life. May each of us be blessed and emboldened to do the work we're meant to do on this planet. May our work honor our ancestors, known and unknown, and may it be in harmony with all creatures that we share this earth with. I express gratitude for all of the technologies and gifts that have made this possible, and I'm grateful to the Cowlitz and Clackamas tribes, among many others, who are the original stewards of the land that I'm on. So I want to start today by talking about death and how we die in this culture, and sort of the, like, dominant culture. I hope that you have access to smaller cultures, either in your family or in your lineage or in your faith, that hold death more wisely but I'm going to pull on what I see as sort of the dominant uh, overculture, as Clarissa Pinkola Estes writes, the overculture approach to death. Um, in my experience it's, there's a lot of denial in that process. Um, There's a lot of turning away and not wanting to really look at it. There's a lot of grasping um, and resistance, right? We have in this culture a lot of value placed on keeping someone alive despite their quality of life, and I've never been in that situation, so I say this very, very humbly. I don't know what I would do if I was faced with death before I felt really ready but there is um, I think a lack of acceptance around death in general in this culture there's also of course our innate drive to survive which is sacred and primal and beyond words and both of these things can be in presence with one another acceptance of death and also a innate like, Uh, undeniable drive to survive at all costs that comes up, you know, when we're faced with something that puts our bodies and life at risk. So my question is really like, how can these be more balanced? How can we honor our drive to survive and become wise in the face of death? And this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, especially in the last Two years. I've had four relatives die in the last two years, three of which were grandparents who, of course, had lived long lives and were... it was no great shock that they passed, although in the moment it was because, again, there was denial and not, uh, not always a lot of forethought or foresight in terms of their impending death. And it's each of those processes has been very different and very healing and activating in different ways. It has also not often been very pretty. Um, And because of the denial and grasping and um, looking away that's part of our larger cultural approach to death, in each of these experiences, there have been pretty painful aftershocks as a result. Um, They haven't been super, super graceful experiences for everyone involved. And I don't know if that's possible, but I do know that in other cultures and in other times, death could be like a, like a birth. It could be something that was celebrated and honored with great reverence and Courage, you know, not looking away, but really accepting that this is what is happening. This person is transitioning. Um, And in what I've read, it it could be a really healing, beautiful experience for the entire community. So I know that that's possible. And I know that for each of my relatives who have died in the last two years, um, that there was healing and reverence as part of that. But I wouldn't say that those were the overall, overarching um, themes. And how we approach little death throughout our lives is similar, I think. There is, I think, a sense of denial if we are bumping up against something that we know has run its course and it is ready to die. There's a grasping of not wanting that to fall away or not wanting it to be true. There's can be like a lot of damage along the way with our resistance, a lot of um, hurtful words or hurtful actions or suffering that we Um, bring upon ourselves. It's not a very graceful process and I don't know if this has been your experience but I find this comes up with work all the time when it's if I have an idea for my business that I put out into the world and it either doesn't take off or it does for a time and then is ready to die. I find myself having a hard time with that, being in denial about the fact that this isn't resonating anymore or grasping and wanting it to work when it's just not there anymore or um, causing myself a lot of suffering because I'm, uh, you know, not accepting that this is larger than me, that this thing has just completed its cycle and wants to be transformed now. And I see this in clients, too, when it comes to jobs that end or projects that end or um, relationships or professional identities that end. We just, I think a lot of us are learning how to make that a more graceful process. And if we can become more wise and courageous in the face of these smaller deaths and relate to them with wisdom. If we can move through these, you know, whether it's a move or something ending in our lives or witnessing the death of a loved one or a plant or even an ecosystem, if we can learn how to be with those in in healthier ways, then the big death at the end of our lives, I think can become a little bit more palatable. Martin Shaw has this beautiful expert excerpt in his book A Branch from the Lightning Tree about how if we can place little offerings at the feet of death throughout our lives if we can talk to her if we can acknowledge her if we can sing to her then we when we meet her at the end of our lives it won't be this like shocking totally traumatic meeting it will be as if we're sort of just meeting a friend or an acquaintance that we've developed a relationship with over the course of our lives and this time in the wheel of the year when we're in this mid autumn when we're starting the seasonal underworld journey and descending into darkness is an excellent time to look at our relationship with to death and to learn how to work with it more wisely between now and the winter solstice the darkness will continue to grow we will be descending um, and the winter solstice is really the nadir the darkest point in this underworld journey before the light returns so as we move into this descent i'm wondering for you you know where does your soul need to journey to right now what lies in wait for you in the underworld in the muck in the darkness what needs to be cut off at the roots or seen differently or given rest in the dark or reclaimed and brought back up in the coming winter and spring. And are you being gently invited into the underworld with little clues like um, something that's just not as energizing anymore or as life-giving or through the growing darkness in the days or the turning leaves, are you being gently invited? because there are times when we are dragged down into the underworld. Despite our unwillingness to go and uh, lack of courage, there are times in our lives where it's not a choice, where our soul or or spirit or the universe, whatever words you use there, is going to force us into there as part of our life, as part of the necessary work in our lives at this time. So, if that's you, I want to just extend a ton of grace and remind you that being in that darkness and that descent is not permanent. It's uh, a necessary part of being human and that you have agency there and you, you also, I want to encourage you to access all of the support that you can um, in most myths no one goes into the underworld alone. There's always a mentor or a guide or a friend that's met there um, and each of us really needs that. But if you're in this place where you're sort of just pondering like, I, you know, I think something here is ready to let go or be transformed, um, then I want to encourage you to be fierce in that and be courageous and really look at that. Work can often show us where we are giving up our power, where we're holding on to something that is lifeless, where we deny our creativity, where we deny ourselves the right to go into the underworld and not know and alchemize and transform. Um, Work is a great area to look at where we're ignoring our desires or what does give us life. So this Scorpio season, I just want to encourage you, and whenever you're listening, really, to really look at and be kind of fierce in your investigation at this time of year. What is really ending here? Why is it ending? Where are you grasping? What are you holding on to? Look under the rocks. Use your senses. Use your instincts. Sniff it out. Be annoying. Be dogged. Be unapologetic in your investigation of what your soul needs at this time, which may include acceptance that something has died or bearing witness to a death or doing the work of processing what has already fallen away or ended its life. This is your life. These are the little deaths that you get to work with until the great death comes to take you and transform you. So once we are in process with death, once something in our in us or in our lives has died, Then there's a big question mark about like what to do then, right? Death hopefully can be graceful and it's sort of is something that just gently falls away. That's not always the case. But then we're on the other side of that and, you know, the funeral is over or the thing is gone or we have released a professional identity or the job has ended, we've turned in our computer, and then it's kinda like, All right, what now? We're still holding the experience of that, we're still needing to process what has happened, which has real impacts on the body, our nervous system, our soul. You know, the grief around job change is really real. The grief around releasing a professional identity that you may have poured years and sweat and blood and tears into, that is real grief. That is real experience In your body that has a a flavor to it um, that needs to be tended to Um, and that's what I want to talk about for the rest of today. Once we're on the other side of death, once something has been let go of either externally or just internally, if we've like cut off the life force that we're devoting to a certain job or work relationship or identity, that's a really tricky place to be on the other side of that. And I see it in my clients processes a lot. There's this pull then to like go back to what's familiar, to go back to that carcass and stay there because it feels safe and familiar, even though there's no life there. That's a really strong pull, whether it's Um, Getting back into relationship dynamics in the workplace that you know aren't good for you or applying for another job in the same vein or same industry or um, pursuing full-time work again even though you know you don't want to do that or can't. And so that pull is really strong. And in my work with people at the end of each session, I usually pull a card from what's called the Animal Spirit Deck by Kim Kranz of The Wild Unknown. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And these cards, just a little caveat, are not to be confused with like spirit animal cards, which is a tradition in many indigenous cultures where you sort of receive or work with a spirit guide who is an animal, which I have... Uh, no familiarity or awareness with as someone who is not indigenous um, this is these are this is a deck of cards about animals and they each have like a sort of lesson with them um, and so at the end of a session we pull a card to sort of tie things together and just receive another perspective another message from the universe or spirit or the clients' higher self whatever language works for them. So we pull this card and the vulture card comes up all the time. <laughs> I notice like there are cards that come up a lot. There are cards that almost never come up. You know, it's a, it's a big deck and certain cards come up a lot. And one of these is the vulture. And these clients, these people are in the midst of pretty significant transformations in their lives and work where death is absolutely at play. And it's something that I want to explore in more depth with you today so the artist Kim Kranz her she has a description of the vulture and it's the themes of like purification and rebalancing Um, and I kind of want to riff on that a little bit and talk to you about vultures as animals and then the wisdom that I think they behold for me my clients and for you today So vultures, like I said earlier, are found all around the world. Uh, Some of them are called condors. uh, Some are called buzzards here, like in North America. Um, But the general themes tying them together are that they're birds, they are scavengers, um, and they arrive on the scene once death has occurred, once a predator has cracked the carcass open. I think they also arrive, you know, if something has died naturally, but from my reading, um, they don't always have the strongest beaks or talons, and so they are helped by the predator who can sort of open that carcass and give them access to what's inside. A group of vultures that comes and descends upon a dying or dead animal is called a wake, which I think is really beautiful. It's sort of in line with the Irish tradition of, you know, being at a wake and sort of honoring and being with this death that has occurred. Um, And these birds come and they feast on what is putrid, on what is uh, not going to be used by the predator, what is unsafe to the environment. They can absorb and digest meat that is rotten rotting that has disease um, and these viruses or these toxins that we don't want to get into other animals who don't have the stomachs that vultures do we don't want it to soak into the soil the stomachs of the vultures are highly highly acidic so they are able to ingest what other animals cannot ingest and break it down into something that is safe again in some cases their stomach acid even destroys the actual DNA of the prey I mean it is like truly alchemized it is what comes out then is unrecognizable it is not what it was before so they are able to arrive in the midst of death once death has occurred they are able to feed themselves on what is in excess what is unsafe for others and they are able to alchemize it through the natural mechanisms of their bodies and when this card shows up for my clients, it's usually when they are in the midst of their own transformation, when they have experienced a death of some kind. They, they have left something, either literally leaving a job, literally leaving a professional identity in their heart, whatever it is, they have left something behind, but they're not yet fully grounded in the new thing. And there's an invitation with this animal, with this archetype, to remember that death needs to be metabolized. It takes time and that we have agency and that we have have choices to make about how we want to be with what has died. And I think what's hard when it comes to death, these little deaths that occur throughout our lives, is that we have to remember that there's not really anything else to be done right? Like when death is happening, if we have accepted it, if it's really someone's time or something's time, there's no resurrection needed. There's no, you know, CPR required. We're just there to bear witness to it. And that is really, really uncomfortable for most of us. It That is like an edge where most of us have a lot of learning to do, myself included. So when a thing dies in our lives, a, a an identity, the end of a grad or undergrad program, the loss of income, that is like a neutral experience, that's that's just part of life, this thing ended, right, That's it, like a neutral objective statement, something ended, something died, but where the viruses and toxins take hold, what, what starts to become unsafe for the ecosystem is often how we relate to that thing and the the stories that we tell ourselves about what happened, why it happened. It could be like this belief that we deserved what happened because we're bad or we're foolish or we made a mistake. It could be this belief that we made the wrong decision, that we aren't smart or strategic enough to um, find our way in this world. It could be this belief that nothing else will come, that there will be no more abundance or joy or good contributions ahead of us. It could be sort of taking on everyone else's judgments about the situation, everyone else's judgments about the fact that you left or why you left or what happened or what others are saying about it. These are really what gets to be toxic. These are the things that can paralyze us moving past what has died. The fact that something ended again is a part of life, it's neutral. The disease that can manifest within that carcass, whatever it is, is usually more often related to our perception of the situation and again the stories that we're telling about it. The clamoring for things to be different, the resistance, the belief that we can that there is no other identity for us that will never feel successful again, that um, we have nothing to contribute, that we're not creative, that um, we're foolish and all we've made are mistakes. But you can interact with what has died in a much wiser, more empowered way. You have the capability to bring in the vultures to support you. And again, this isn't about changing anything, right? The vulture comes when something has already died, it's done. But we can come and integrate what what happened. We can process what we've experienced. We can neutralize what is toxic. And in some ways, this happens on its own. with time and space. No one has to like tell the vultures to do what they do. right? They arrive and they know what to do. We don't have to there's no like instruction manual. So some of this just happens naturally through space and distance from the thing but the process can be greatly, greatly helped with certain metabolic practices. One, again, this will happen naturally through your body. Your body processes your experiences in work. So if you get fired, if you are laid off, if you um, have a business venture that dies or fails, your body is literally processing that for you. And so you can support yourself literally by taking care of your body so that it is able to process and ground the experiences that you're having. You can journal and write about it. You can talk to mentors or friends or others in your flock. You can exercise and move your body and burn some of that through. You can make art. You can be fearless in your inquiry right? No vulture is like shying away from the meat or the blood that's there, right? They're getting into it face forward, right? And we can be courageous and fearless in that too, like what is this? What really happened? Why does this feel so painful or so heavy or so disempowering? We can also trust that the cycles of nature, the cycles of our lives can be healing for us, that what happened maybe this fall or winter or spring or summer will not feel the same in the coming seasons. And that's real healing. And all with, all I'm inviting you to do today is to amplify that a little bit with your awareness and any practice that helps you feel like you're processing what has died and what needs to be looked at or examined or buried or tended to. Scavenging is gruesome. Like, I mean, imagine seeing vultures descend upon the body of an animal that you love, right? Or even just watching like neutrally, just watching on National Geographic, like these vultures ripping away at the carcass of a zebra or a lion or whatever it is. It makes your stomach turn. It's gross. It's unsavory. But their process is necessary for the ecosystem. If they didn't do what they did, disease would be rampant among these ecosystems. There would be tremendous waste. There would be an overburdened um, microbial uh, aftermath, you know, for all of these other creatures that come and help decompose what has died. The vultures play a necessary part in the process of life, but it is gross, right? It's yucky for us to look at, but it's still magical, And there is a balance between not staying stuck and analyzing or trying to process an experience that has truly ended. I'm not saying that you need to be, you know, hemming and hawing over this experience that is truly just over. But a lot of us don't know how to or don't really take enough time to really see what happened, to really process it, to really um, not shy away from the excavation that's needed in order to truly metabolize it. Sometimes it's like that saying where you have to go slow to go fast. If I don't sit and like really grieve and be in the grief of something that has died, it sort of hampers me and is an extra burden as I go forward so that I I don't move as quickly or as freely in the future. And just like scavenging can be gruesome, really looking at what happened, what our part in it was, what still hurts, what we need to reclaim inside of that, can, it can feel like an ugly, disgusting, uncomfortable experience, but it's ultimately life-giving. It ultimately protects the rest of our ecosystem because we can put down and transform what has been or become toxic. A lot of us spend too much time trying to resurrect the dead thing when we really need time and space and sleep and metabolism to process it and allow it to be transformed and given back to the ecosystem. And it might take you 10 years to fully process and understand a really hairy, painful experience in your work or in your vocation. That's okay. There's no timeline for anyone. It might take two days of really extensive, deep, being with and bearing witness, but you've got time and you can let the vultures descend when you need them to. It's a natural process. They know what to do. So if we do this work, like if we really are with the underworld death experience of the mid-autumn, late-autumn period, that gives us extra freedom to move with swiftness. We're not burdened by disease, right? Grief upon grief that's not examined or held, that compounds. The grief of a missed opportunity, the grief of critical feedback, the grief of climate change, the grief of real death that we experience, those things can compound and grow and become really nasty diseases in our ecosystem if we don't metabolize and allow the natural cycles of scavenging and decomposition to take place. Vultures feast on putrid flesh on the ground, and then they soar in the sky on their broad wings. There is a levity here. I think from my reading, I read that the the highest flying bird ever recorded was a vulture at 37,000 feet. So it is both and here. It is disgusting and bloody work on the ground, right at the soil. And it is also floating on the wind. If we do the gruesome work when it arises, when it's here, we open up and free ourselves to be able to fly and see things differently, to have a new perspective, to feel light and like we can move and have freedom and agency in our lives and move into the next things that make sense for us. Because in learning how to be with the small deaths that come into our lives, we do become wise, we become fearless, we see that like, oh, I can be with that carcass that is rotting, and I can still move into the spaces that fit for me, I can move on from that. I can move into the currents and the ecosystems where I can give my greatest gifts. I can make the contributions I want to make. I can experience reciprocity and real meaning through the work that I do. So as you transform this season, I want to encourage you to just offer yourself the wisdom of the vulture, to feast on what you can, to use time and distance and the tools of inquiry to really alchemize what can become toxic. Use your literal gut here. Support your digestion this season. Give yourself the space to sleep more, to move more, um, to journal, to process what has happened for you with others in your community if you can do it in a flock you know vultures are social creatures if you can do it with others even if it's just one other person or a pet or a plant or the sky you know it's even better you are held here you no one enters the underworld alone and you don't need to either so thank you for sharing the space for me that's what i wanted to offer you today i hope it has felt encouraging or illuminating or supportive and giving you a different perspective on what you might be in right now. If nothing else, I hope it allows you or reminds you to take your grief seriously and to remember that um, it doesn't stay the same, that there's a both and here that it's it can be difficult and disgusting and hard to look at. And you can also, in a moment's time be flying and uh, enjoying the wind beneath your wings so uh that's what i had with you, had for you today uh again if you feel like you need some extra support that is nature-based that is seasonal that is informed by an appreciation for the underworld and the spirit realm then i just want to remind you that i do support people through these intensive six-month programs and you can learn all about that at wildnewwork.com. i'll put that link in the show notes as well So take such good care. I'm really glad that we could spend this time together today and I will see you on the other side.